This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. Gregory, it's great to be back. What city are you uh, speaking to us from? I am smack in the middle of Los Angeles, California, as uh, as uh, Sam Mayor Sam Yorty once called it. And I am looking <laughs> at the Hollywood sign, uh, at, the famous Hollywood sign. Where are you? Angelina's got an Angelino, huh? I'm I'm in I'm in Sacramento uh, up in up in the north or I think it's the northern part of the state or the central part of the state I'm not too sure. I what. was struck uh, I don't I've never been, I haven't been too many times but I was struck at the cafes and near the capital and the the leafy trees and I, suddenly I realized this is northern California and I was, I always thought it was is central California but culturally it se- seemed to have the snootification of the bay so I guess you're you're that, that's my to, distinction. It wants to consider itself East Bay, but that's like getting real East. Like soon, soon Reno is going to be East Bay. Oh, that's it's not East Bay. No, but it, it is really the intersection of where Central, the Central Valley meets <laughs> Northern California. And um, it's changing. I mean, I've been here 20 years now, raised my family here, and it's just, it's a very different city. It's trying desperately to become more, East Bay, more Bay Area. I mean, there's a lot of Bay Area influence here now, too. A lot of folks from the Bay Area coming in. Who get priced out of the Bay Area and move inland. Yeah, or buy a second or third you know, spot, especially with the pandemic, right? With people buying other homes. It's like there's an affordable place to live and get out of the city's traffic. You don't have to drive and deal with the congestion and you get farm to fork right. food and all that good stuff. So what are we talking about today? Well, I want to talk about something that's been a little bit of a bugaboo for me for some time, and it's increasingly becoming one. And I think I'm hoping what you can do is provide a little bit of uh, insight and understanding to it. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about evangelical Christianity. I want to talk about white evangelical Christians. Um, we could bring in the race component, as I maybe do too much, but I do want to talk about the origins of it, what, what it means, where it's at. I'm obviously perplexed by what was happening with voters. I know you kind of push back on that sometimes, but it's instructive for me to kind of understand why a voter group that is kind of a little bit more moralistic or has a much more rigid set of social and moral standards was so compromised during the Trump era and shows no proclivity of changing. In fact, it seems to be doubling down on the direction that well, the Republican Well, the first thing, I, I don't think evangelicals have a higher sense of moral standards. Uh, I don't think that was ever true. I think that was a newspaper construct or something that the value voter thing we have talked about. I've, I poo-pooed in the last show. I, I, modern evangelicalism, my understanding, is a, is a product of, of modernity. It's a product of, 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 of the a unifying nation in the early 20th century and them finding themselves not in the vanguard of it. The, the, them finding themselves... Uh, uh, protesting uh, evolution being taught in schools and found themselves hunkering down in an anti-modernist uh, stance. And this is while previously sort of mainstream Protestant denominations, Methodism, uh, certainly Episcopalianism, became sort of mainstream, became 
less theologically more. They became very, very modern. Some say they actually sort of left their theology behind and became sort of social norm clubs. But and 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 evangelicalism just sort of were separate from the rest of Protestantism. They were separate from uh, modernity. They were separate from urbanity. They were separate from learning, and they were going to resist change. So, the change they're resisting today is the change they've been resisting for a hundred years. And I and I, I don't know. I mean, my my sense and, and you know my the way I'm thinking and what I'm writing about uh, or preparing to write about is how relentless this country is relentless in its change and its its belief its belief in this march forward but there are large numbers of people within the country who don't buy in to the notion of progress and i think they are the the poster poster americans for those who don't buy into the notion of progress and it, I, what does that what does that mean the the notion of progress is it so, like you, you said something really important? You said it, it was kind of evolution, right? And and obviously that's not really much of a hotly debated issue, but I can see how it evolves into something like uh, what we would con- what I, my profession would characterize as um, cultural wedge issues, right? Gay marriage, abortion, but at the time it was evolution. Early 1900s. The 1920s, in the nineteen twenties with the Scopes trial, the mid twenties that that was the culture war. And they, we read in the history books that they lost the case, uh, but they, 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 but they didn't lose really. They, they hunkered down in their anti-modernist stance, and an H.L. Mencken then could make fun of them, and and everyone could make fun of them since. Um, but the more they're looked down upon, the more they're disdained by elites, the more they more they, the more they're reviled, the more they move forward uh, in their own sort of anti-modernist way. So yeah, they, 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 they're actually that. They're, they're, they're a definite product of culture wars that were, they, it was predicted by some that they would go away, but they didn't. They're there. It's a large segment of Americans, largely uh, the lo- lowest, uh, among the lowest income of Protestant groups. They're the largest, the states with the largest uh, uh, concentrations of evangelicals tend to be in the South, but with white Southern migration in the post-war years, um, they're everywhere. And they brought that sort of anti-reason, anti-elitist, very individualist sense of anti-status in many ways, uh, sensibility to to wherever they live. Now, their, their involvement in politics, I think, is relatively new. It's, it's, it's sort of a product of the late 70s of the moral majority. And so it's their political in, involvement, I think, that that where you're frustrated by, I, I can see it, why I can be frustrated, is that you don't appeal to them with the same sort of persuasive messages as other uh, constituents would be, right? Yeah, but and I do want to get there, but you said something you're explaining something very powerful here. And that is that it's really less about theology and more a rejection of modernity, which defines this community. Yeah. And I think, so, so the other thing that this one caller called it, like one scholar I was reading called it, it's sort of, these are members, they were, they were at one time members of, of the mainstream of local cultures who had this sense of custodial control, that's what they call it, custodial control over local culture, right? So they were people who said, we must preserve what we have, who then became 
alienated by modernity, by this new country that emerged after the World War One and then World War Two. So are people who have a sense of being in the center of a culture that they had some role in upholding it, who are now alienated. It's that weird sort of entitled enough to say, hey, it's ours, but yet being deeply alienated like a minority, right? It's an interesting tension there. And so there's a sense of defending the old guard, even if the old guard sort of made up at this point. Um, so does that make sense? Is that yeah. the sort of a, a entitlement of a, of a group that was once part of a majority that is living like, uh, who believes they are a put upon minority. And in many ways they are. One could say that again, they, their income levels are low and uh, their influence until the seventies was not very great. They're often disdained in mass in, in popular culture. They're often made fun of, right? Um, H.L. So, Mencken yeah. was brutal on yeah. the, um, I yeah. mean, the, the obituary I read uh, that he wrote. Um, help me with the name of the, 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 the man, the, the scopes, the scopes trial. Yeah. Yeah. The lawyer that was defending, who is it? Not Daryl, but it was a uh, Bryant. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, William uh, Jennings uh, Bryant. H.L. Mencken's obituary of William Jennings Bryant is just absolutely brutal. Uh, it's a it's a complete takedown of of an evangelical right a, a a a true believer and it's kind of an elitist attack on evangelical beliefs. Well, I mean, the the newspapers have been doing that ever since, and and Hollywood's been doing that ever since. So, I mean, we have so what we have is an alienated group that's not going to budge for anyone. And again, it's the, the the distinction for me is these are people are not you you the, the veneer of these you know marriage equality and abortion and creationism is really a rejection of modern society. Well, it's not a rejection of Christ's acts on nah, or, or Christ's vision yeah, for our better world. I, I think that we we know that the the abortion issue came late to them. Uh, the, it was a Catholic issue initially, and then. Uh, largely, and it, and it was adopted by the moral majority in the late 70s. So this was something that that became an issue and perhaps, you know, very, um, uh, but I, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure it's, uh, yeah, I, I, who am I to, to doubt the, the sincerity of, of, of their beliefs on this, but that's not what this is about. It's, it, that may that'd be an issue that was added on, but it's largely a rejection of, 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 a, of an urbanized uh, moral relativism of, of, a, of a culture that believes that progress can and will and should erase the past every 10 years. I mean, there is, again, I, I, wanna, I really wanna focus on, on, on the discontents of this country, which it doesn't really, and the discontents aren't simply about class or race. It's on people who feel they don't belong in the culture of, it's a culture of winners. It's a culture of, you know, it's a culture that talks about the arc of history. I'm like, my God, the, these are people who do not believe they're on an arc of history in the same way. Indeed, it, it, to the extent they, which are, that to which they are theologically based, they believe that history will end. <laughs> they believe that it, history will end apocalyptically. And that is not bad news, that is good news. Uh, one of the interesting things about them, let's say in the early 1820s, um, you had uh, what they called the, the post-millennialists that, that, 
that the thousand years of, 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 of the reign of a Jesus on earth would arise after the, that the earth had, uh, or, or earthly societies had cleaned themselves up enough for Jesus to come, right? So this was uh, in the 20, 1820s, 1830s, 1840s. And this was a, that led to this notion of the social gospel, that there is something we can do as individuals and as communities to bring Jesus here, right? To be worthy of the return of Christ, right? So, 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 so th these these folks are so the opposite. Uh, they are premillennialists, right? So they believe that Christ will come when when certain indicators are met, certain and and Christ will come and issue in that era himself, with, simply by coming. And and that's a big distinction is that they don't believe in this progress, literally. Uh, that is not part of the way they see see the world. It makes it a countercultural movement. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 that's that's uh, again a, a defining feature. In I'm always I'm always fascinated by counterculture movements because they oftentimes, as is happening with the evangelical community, are seeking to kind of control and change the direction of 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 our culture by by seizing political power. Um, and I'm not suggesting all the adherents do, but there are certainly clearly leaders in, 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 you know, the evangelical community that are very active politically that are explicitly saying we need to use the levers of government to kind of yeah. move culture in a different direction. Yeah. What if they were, what if they were successful? What if you're no longer countercultural? What if you can, what, what if you are the culture? Well, that that's you're you're characterizing, you know, sort of people on the left who think they're countercultural, but actually hold the levers of government and, and academia and, and journalism. So, <laughs> right. I mean, th mm -hmm. this is, these are people who actually are establishment who still pretend that they're uh, that against they're the man when they are the man. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the defining features of, of progressivism today, that, that somehow Harvard and Yale is somehow against the man, but no dude, you are the man. So it's, it's, and, and, and the fact that we're struggling with talking about it shows you how badly America does with minorities. This is a this is an old minority who who won't play along in many ways. And we can be we can characterize them as white or privileged and being white or some in some form. And on, I'm sure that that in certain communities they, they they can be as such and they can leverage power over non whites. Let's say wherever they may be, but overall they are not high in the social hierarchy of U.S. culture, uh, at least as seen uh, through its power structure, if that makes sense. I think so. Is there a difference between white evangelical Christianity and black evangelical Christianity? And I ask the question because as a practitioner, there's a massive distinction in voting patterns and voting behavior. Yeah, of course there is. And I, I don't know much about black evangelicals or, or their political, but of course there is. But, but religion isn't, isn't just an abstract rules or beliefs. There's religion is, is, is people in, in a certain space and place and time uh, uh, dealing with issues of, 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 of super reality within their own context. So that's another context. Yeah. I mean, there are certain, there are Catholics who believe in X and there's Catholics who believe in Y and sometimes it's driven by race and ethnicity, those distinctions, but yeah, very different, but I'm not prepared to talk about black evangelicals with any sense of. Well, and to that point, again, I think part of, of evangelical Christianity is it does offer a more rigid sense of structure, more answers. And then I wouldn't, and Oh, the Catholic? 
No, I was talking about the evangelicals. I mean, what, I think what, it's rigid. Here's it's, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Here's where I was going with that. And again, tell me if you disagree, yeah. but we, what we do see is there is a movement away from Catholicism with emigres from Central and you know Mexico, Central America. Right. They, they kind of shake their Catholicism once they get here, or at least a significant amount of people either move away from that and towards more um, evangelical communities. Right. And I, I, I've always ascribed that as trying to find more structure in a foreign uh, alien world. Yeah, I think I, I could I, be wrong. No, no, no. I, I think you're right. And I think, I think, I think you're absolutely right. But I, I think in this term structure, it's, I'm thinking I'm struggling with structure. It's more sort of, it's more rules. It's more, yeah. it's more, it's, it's sort of more is asked of them. Like I, I, I will walk through central LA every day and you on a Friday night, there will be an evangelical service of central Americans uh, there's more of more is demanded. They're more demanding religions. Yeah. There's some, I think there's uh, some comfort in that. There's some security in that. Uh, yeah. I think there's some, um, at the very least, it, it makes you lean. It makes people, it gives people a sense. It, 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 it grounds you in a community that grounds you in, into ritual. That's not just once a week. It's several times a week. Um and you raise money with them and you, and, and yeah, it's, it, by the way, it's just like to the U.S. tax code. It's always interested in me, the sense that it changes religion and behavior in this, in when people come here, think about it. Every church has to have a sort of a nonprofit status, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to open a bank account. You have to have a board, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually this, also this, uh, this uh, sort of acculturation process by which you become self-standing and learn how a system works, whereas Catholicism is set up, right? It's set up and you don't have to actually create a board yourself. And, um, and, and one of the critiques of Catholicism is that over the, over the years, it became a middle-class church, right? And, and it may speak less uh, to some, the needs of, of new arrivals than perhaps a smaller, brand new evangelical chapter. There are really distinct voting differences between Catholics and evangelicals. Tell me, tell me, tell me how they play out. Well, Catholics tend to break about 50-50. I mean, they side a little bit more towards the Democrats, especially in the Northeast. Irish Catholics have historically been more, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy, right? The Kennedys, they, were, they, were, they tended to be more um, Democrats, kind of, kind of Irish laborer Democrats, right? These are not socially progressive people. These are Catholics, mm -hmm. but they're working class, blue collar, iron worker, you know, uh, shipbuilders, you know, so, they're, they're, they're working people. So do they lose that democratic leaning as they move up the socio socioeconomic ladder? Is they it Irish do. Catholic? The question the, is, they yeah. do. The question is, do they also lose their Catholicism? And that I don't, I haven't, I haven't looked at closely enough at that. Right. But, but yes, we, what we do see is as they become more, as they do become more upwardly mobile economically and, and work more kind of uh, in, in new economies, as opposed to old economies, right. There, there is a stronger tendency, or at least there had been up until recently to vote more Republican. There, there is, and again, this is a different question, but it is related there is, and, and, and there was just some polling out last week that showed the largest divide between college-educated and non-college-educated voters, with college-educated voters moving pretty sharply towards the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Now, 
there that doesn't that doesn't cleanly explain income levels and income disparities but there's a pretty good correlation right between having a college degree and not having a college degree and what your income is going to look like mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. the question becomes is it because you're college educated or because you have a higher income right or because you're farther removed from the immigrant experience or a combination of all of those things right Right, which is which just makes the, the the conundrum of the contemporary GOP all the more interesting. This sort of sort of who do they represent, and that and it makes this the, the suggestions that they become a working people party sort of all the more interesting. You know that that if the Democrats are the the party of the upper middle class, then where else? And and you know what the, the the parties. So would the would would the will the uh, one more generation of the Bushes, for instance, will they will they vote Democrat? And then yes. what is? Yeah, there you go. I mean, That's yes, just fascinating. I mean, you had I mean Barbara Bush before she passed away. God rest her soul. She was basically saying like I'm not voting for this guy, right? And George W. the former president is basically like, I mean, I guess, but really. Yeah, like so this is where it's at. I mean, that's a, that's about as blue blood Republican royalty as you get. Now, so George what, P, George P, the Mexican nephew in Texas, railroad commissioner, very powerful spot. He's full blown Trumper. Yeah, explain that yeah. one. Yeah, right? yeah, but but let me go back. Is what is the GOP? What is the GOP without North without Yaley blue bloods? Well, I mean, it's it's. It's the party of the South and the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not even the new South. It's not even Georgia South. It's like Mama, I, Mississippi, the way, I, Arkansas, and increasingly sort of, you know, the Michigan Great Lakes states because they have a higher concentration of non-college educated whites. I uh, I think George P. made a calculated error. I'm guessing his, oh, I his so Trumpism too. was just was just calculated. I think he got called error. into the study at Kennebunkport. And was like, what are you doing? Like, how, how, how does a Bush make this bad a call? Did you ever right? meet that, that? Because the New England the New England bloodlines wouldn't have made that bad of a call, right? <laughs> Did you ever meet Tony Garza, the former railroad commissioner? I, I never met Tony, no. Uh, uh, you know, a, a Bushy uh, yeah. became U.S. ambassador to Mexico. Interesting man. While ambassador to Me- U.S. ambassador to Mexico, married the richest woman in Mexico. Uh, they've since divorced. Uh, but uh, interesting cat, and uh, w- he would have been an interesting candidate for governor at some point. But it sounds like um, he ain't going to do that. Only yeah, Texas well, could present could could give us a character like that. Yeah, Texas fascinates me for a whole lot of reasons. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching that state for a while and some of those changes. But um, and again, a good confluence there. I think of of kind of like Sacramento, right? It's just, it's just clashing ground of what it wants to be and who it needs to be. It's, is it, there's obviously increasing Catholicity with Hispanic increases in population, but also kind of their Southern tendencies and a strong strange of Southern, well, Southern Methodist university, which isn't necessarily evangelical, but yeah, there's, there's a strong strain of, of good old time Southern religion in Texas as well. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Sacramento has one of the has had at least for the last twenty years has one of the highest uh, intermarriage rates of any city in the U.S. I don't know if you yeah, know that. it's one of the most diverse places in the country. Yeah. You know how I, you know how I figured this out? How's that? Well, a little known story about me, but I used to raise goats, 
I've heard. And, uh, yeah, as the kids were growing up, I I decided in all my brilliance that we would get goats because I lived on a couple of acres outside of uh, Sacramento, and you know, not being well versed in livestock husbandry, I would have very large numbers of kids goats grown uh, born and growing in February, and each doe you know could have between two and four kids. So I had heard of up to forty goats at one time, which is a lot. Wow. And so I needed to sell them. Like did you quickly. grow a long? Did you grow a long beard and use a sort of a cane as you shepherded yeah. them around the neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a. Sh- it, uh, it was not a shepherd, I guess. I was a goat Go hunter. Uh, so, but anyway, to kind of to speed the story along, I ended up kind of just posting stuff like on Craigslist. Like I've got goats, right? And I thought you know people come and pick up and try a new pet out. But no, no. What I had was kind of like a virtual UN coming to the house with people from the Philippines, people from the Middle East, uh, Mexicans coming. And I realized every, virtually every other country, every other culture in the world eats goats. Birria. Birria. Oh man. Mango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we used to, yeah. So, so, but what I would have is like trying to have four way negotiations and through language on which goats people wanted and what they were willing to kind of pay for these goats. Of course, they were looking to eat them. But and it was you know but, but but I guess my point was that's how I realized how diverse Sacramento was is you could put ah, that's for great that's up a great story have, you have uh, the United Nations show up in her driveway trying to buy that is a great story and yeah. one more facto factoid I have is that it was the birthplace of uh, I believe uh, 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 Cornell West uh, really black scholar yeah a birthplace of Richard Rodriguez a Mexican American writer brilliant man um, and of Joan Didion. So it, it it has a intellectual legacy. And Dusty Baker, too, by the way. Okay, well, I, I was never a big Dusty Baker fan, but whatever. Um, let's get, <laughs> there is an arc here to our discussion, as you'll, you'll find. We, are we don't know what it is. but We don't know what it is, but we're trying to find it. Um, it, it let me ask a, another question on evangelical Christianity. Is it a uniquely American phenomenon? Because it is so countercultural and because it probably formed well, in this petri dish what, of the 1920 scope trial no it, it, it usually people who are anti-modern tend to grab on to establishment like used to like well, let's say the the country that is whose news i follow most other than well spain and i follow germany a lot but but spain sort of anti-modernist they they back the, the the monarchy or the catholic church right so there's something really interesting is that the 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 anti-modernists in America, maybe this is peculiarly American, are really deeply unconservative on that level. Like they actually don't back anything other than some vague notion of that this was a Christian nation once, right? So so it's the it's the absence of any traditional conservatism in their laissez-faire conservatism, right? I mean, I mean, that's the, the central, that's the central absurdity of American conservatism is that it's not conservative at all. And it hasn't been for over a century. Like, mm-hmm. so, so I think that's, what's distinct that most anti-modernists uphold, even if, you know, I'm watching, I don't know if you've watched it unorthodox on Netflix. It's just a brilliant show uh, about the life of a, a Satmar Hasid from Brooklyn. Uh, and even they are upholding, an order that was invented at a different time. It's not, it's not ancient, but it was, it, it was a couple centuries old set of rules. So 
that's why evangelicals aren't upholding anything really, any structure or infrastructure. They're mostly hyper individualists. That, that I think that's probably uh, very American. This the fact that you you don't like modernity, but you also don't save anything from tradition. Yeah, it's, it's very very interesting. When you explain it like that, it actually makes perfect sense why evangelicals have found a home in the Republican Party, and perhaps most importantly, why they have found a home in Trump and Trumpism and the way they're behaving, which is it's oftentimes defined by what it's against as opposed to what it's for. Yeah, is that- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the one thing I can say, I was reading um, this this evangelical scholar at Notre Dame, Mark Knoll, uh, just amazing writer. And I was reading something he wrote in the 80s about suggesting that evangelicals should see Christ in a different way. To the extent, he said, to the extent that, that their, their religion is theologically based at all, which is already questionable, um, he thought that maybe they were seeing Christ as a crusader, as onward Christian soldier, as uh, and not seeing Christ as as he who suffered as the as, as the hum, as the man as the as the god man who suffered on the cross and he he just sort of eloquently in a small essay suggested that that might be a more christian way to look at politics to look at it not through the eyes of upholders of something lost but through the eyes of 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 people looking at how they can help and protect those who suffer perhaps them and themselves included can we talk about the distinctiveness of both of those because they're really important and i I don't know um we've talked about the battle hymn of the republic yeah that's part of the crusading jesus as well the warrior the fighter yeah 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 yeah. is can can christ can uh, one last uh, important point i think can can evangelical christianity can it by its nature view have a christ who is a sufferer well, I mean, again, I mean, this was a beautiful essay by by Mark Knoll, uh, suggesting that yeah, that that they 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 pivot their Christology, as he calls it, and to see that see life more through the suffering Christ rather than Christ the the King. Um, yeah, of course it could. Uh, the, the shifts in cultures happen all the time, but um, I, I don't think it's going to happen through politics. But I may be wrong. This is a, but 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 let's leave it on that. It's a group of white Americans who have felt disaffected for a long time, um, and again, where race and other factors may come into play. Some of it is simply they never bought in. They never they they chose not to try to buy in to a country that was moving relentlessly toward modernity. You can't sell out if you never bought in. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Gregory. We'll talk again. All right, again. brother. Talk soon. All right. Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of Americanata. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.